sea of forgetfulness The chains of yesterday surround me I yearn for peace and rest I don't want to end up where you found me And it echoes in my mind Keeps me awake tonight I know you've cast my sin as far as The east is from the west And I stand before you now As though I've never sinned Today I feel like I'm just one mistake away From you leaving me this way Jesus, can you show me just how far The east is from the west Cause I can't bear to see the man I've been Come rising up in me again In the arms of your mercy I find rest You know just how far the east is from the west From one scarred hand to the other The war begins, endless reminding of my sin Time and time again, your truth is drowned out by the storm I'm in Today I feel like I'm just one mistake away From you leaving me this way Jesus, can you show me just how far the east is from the west Cause I can't bear to see the man I've been Come rising up and be again In the arms of your mercy I find rest Cause you know just how far the east is from the west From one scarred hand to the other I know you've washed me white Turned my darkness into light I need your peace to get me through, get me through this night. I can't live by what I feel, but by the truth your word reveals. I'm not holding on to you, but you're holding on to me. You're holding on to me. Just how far the east is from the west I don't have to see the man I've been Come rising up in me again In the arms of your mercy I find rest You know just how far the east is from the west From one scarred hand to the other
great to see everyone tonight and great to see everybody here that are for Drake's baptism. It's awesome. I also have a guest tonight, Brother Jonathan Lau, and I'm going to let him introduce himself and his family to you. I'm excited, and hopefully I can find this video that uh, I just uh, was converting, make sure it, it would play, and it's going to kind of sum up everything uh, that uh, he is doing in the state of Indiana, so we're excited for him, and uh, I'm just uh, real thrilled for the morning service that we had uh, this morning, and it's just been awesome. So, Brother Jonathan, I've got a microphone for you. Come on up. Well, good evening. It is great to be here. Uh, we travel a lot. There's a lot of traveling that goes into beginning a church plant and starting a new work. Uh, we've been everywhere coast to coast, from Washington State to Washington, D.C., to uh, Florida, to Michigan. We've been coast to coast, north and south, east to west. And there's a lot of churches that you go into and you wonder if they're alive. And I don't think there's any question if this church is alive. <laughs> you all, you can just tell, you can feel it, that you're glad to be here and uh, that you love coming to church. I mean, sitting in the, the class before church started, I mean, people were just excited to be there, excited to learn. And hearing uh, the good news that you've had people saved and you're baptizing people on a regular basis, it's awesome to see and it's great to be here and uh, be a part tonight of your services with you. Uh, don't know that I know a soul in this church tonight. Uh, and uh, a lot of the churches we go to, we have a, a connection and a relationship with uh, but tonight, um, Brother Chad Graves up in Monticello, Arkansas, great friend of mine, great mentor of mine. And uh, Brother Chad suggested I come here, and he said, you'll love this church. They're a great church. So not only do I recognize it, but you're being spoken well of by others as well. And he encouraged me to come and share the work with you all tonight and to be here with you. So I'm excited to be here. My name is John Lau. Uh, it's spelled L-O-W-E. And looks like low, pronounced funny. Uh, Midwesterners are weird. You'll find that out quickly. Uh, the more you're around us, the more you'll understand that we're just different. So uh, bear with us and get to know us. Uh, it's good to have my wife with me tonight. She's uh, about in the middle here in the, the yellow scarf. Have her wave her hand there for you so you can meet her and know her. Uh, her name is Megan. Uh, we've been married now for a little over seven years. And God has blessed us with two kids. Uh, Ava's four. Gavin is three, and they just took off to the back uh, with Pastor's daughter uh, to go have some fun and back tonight and have their lesson time back there. So I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here and uh, to share the Word of God with you and share what God's doing in our hometown. Uh, I'll start my story for you um, several years back, going back to 2005. Uh, took my first foreign mission trip in 2005 and went to... Ukraine. And while I was there in Ukraine, had kind of a, a light bulb moment in my life and in my ministry. Uh, we were in a village and we were doing wordless skits. There's a language barrier there. Uh, we didn't speak the language. And so we were trying to find creative ways to communicate with the people that we were working with and with the children of the villages that we would go to. And so we had wordless skits that we performed for them that shared the gospel. And then somebody would preach through a translator after we did this wordless skit. And as we were planning things and preparing for this wordless skit, 
uh, I looked over, and it was the main street coming down the village outside of the city of Jatomer, and uh, we were in a, a village surrounding that city, a small village, maybe 100 people. And the main street, a little dirt gravel, dirt and gravel mixed road, and there were cows just walking just randomly down the middle of the street, and it hit me that I'm not in America anymore. You just don't see that in most cities in America where the main street in town and here's cows unattended walking down the main street in America. And I thought to myself, I'm not at home, but God is still here. And it was this moment in ministry that was this turning point for me that made me understand and realize it doesn't matter if I'm in Ukraine, if I'm in Indiana, if I'm in Florida where I was living at the time in seminary, uh, if I'm in Arkansas, it, it doesn't matter where I'm at in the world that God is still there and God is still moving and God is still all-powerful and all-knowing and, and merciful towards us. And at that moment, my heart began to, to turn and began to be geared towards missions and to think, God, wh- where are you going to send us? What, what do you have uh, for Megan and I uh, in life and in ministry? What, what do you have for us? And there was a moment that it was before we were married. We were both living in Florida um, I was in seminary, and uh, there was a moment where we were putting together a, a puzzle of the world. And uh, Rick Warren, I had read Purpose Driven Life, and Rick Warren in his book Purpose Driven Life stated that him and his wife were praying over a map of the world and said, God, send us wherever you would have us in the world and we'll go. And Megan and I were just talking, and as we were putting together this puzzle, the thought came to my mind, Let, let's just pray. Let's give this all to God right now, and let's say, God, Wherever you'd have us to go, we will go. And I mentioned earlier to you that I don't know any of you personally yet, uh, but there is a a strange connection that we have um, that I believe is a God thing. Uh, In 2008, fast-forwarding a few years in my story, we were presented with the opportunity by Nikki and Beverly Barnett to partner with them in ministry in the Toledo district of Belize. And... We surrendered to go to Belize, where your missionary, Joel Dillahoney, is uh, serving. And uh, we we surrendered to go, and we began the process of raising funds. We began the process of planning out our survey trip and everything we pursued with Belize. It felt like God said, no, this isn't for you. This isn't what I have for you. This isn't the right timing. And through this whole process, I had been taught and trained by multiple people in ministry, men and women uh, that had taught and trained me about indigenous church planting. If you're not familiar with indigenous church planting, I'll share with you quickly that the process is basically this. A, A missionary goes to the field and he teaches the national people of the field, wherever he's at, if it's stateside or or foreign teaches the national people of the field to become self-supporting in every way, financially, as well as teaching and training up uh, national men to become teachers and pastors of churches and begin a church planting movement that is supported by national funds. That is an indigenous church plant. Example, uh, James and Kenya Taylor, they go to Kenya, Africa, and they begin teaching African men to uh, be able to teach the Bible and be able to preach. And as they teach and preach the Bible, they begin African churches with African pastors. And in essence, the missionary is working himself out of a job. And so this was the concept that was ingrained into my mind and into my heart and became a passion of mine 
to practice indigenous church planting. And this was the plan as we had surrendered to go to Belize and then God closed the door on that opportunity for us. And so we began to pray. Megan and I were like, God, what are you speaking to our hearts? What are you saying to us? And at the time we were serving uh, in a church in Noblesville, Indiana as youth pastor. It's our hometown where Megan and I both grew up. Uh, It's a suburb of Indianapolis on the north side. And we began to pray, God, what are you speaking to us? What are you telling us to do? We've surrendered. God will go wherever you want us to go. And it came full circle around when he began to speak to our hearts and say, you are the indigenous church planter. This is your home. These are your people. This is your culture. You know the culture. There's no language barrier. This is your home, and these are your people, and they need Jesus. There's... Over a 60% secular culture in the city of Indianapolis. There are 2 million people in the statistical area of Indianapolis, and only 36% of those 2 million people claim any religious affiliation at all. 36%. And that religious affiliation, that's Islam, that's Buddhism, that's Christianity, everything lumped together into one, 36%. And I'll let you do the math as far as what you think the gospel IQ of those people may be because as we know islam is not teaching jesus is the way and the truth and the life uh that's 36 percent religious affiliation it is a very low gospel-centered culture very low gospel gospel-centered culture Um, i'll share with you this i know that there are differences between us and the southern baptist denomination but i just want to share with you the need that is not only seen by us in our hometown, but is being noticed by other denominational groups. The Southern Baptist denomination have a plan in writing to plant 120 churches over the next five years in the city of Indianapolis. They've recognized the need. It's in writing, and you can find it at northamericanmissionboard.net, namb.net, if you want to find the statistics. 120 churches over the next five years because there's a need for the gospel in our city. It's something that we're not alone in recognizing the need that's there. We want to get there and we want to be able to plant churches and begin a movement of church planting, of indigenous churches, uh, planting more churches in and around the city of Indianapolis. But it doesn't just stop there. There are multiple cities close by to us that need churches as well. And and we can begin a a church planting movement of churches planting churches and, and branching out. And so that gives you a little bit of our history where we came from, how we landed in Brownsburg, Indiana. Uh, but specifically tonight, before I show the video and introduce you to a few of our people through this video, I want to share with you how you can be involved. Uh, we have had the opportunity and the blessing of hosting City Reach, uh, summer of 2013, and also some 516 missions groups that came up in the past summer as well. And we're hosting the same groups again, 516 and, 516, uh, and City Reach, this coming summer. We had in the neighborhood of 600 students last summer come through serving and helping us out uh, in Brownsburg, Indiana, in the suburb of Indianapolis. And so uh, you have an opportunity to jump on board and be involved with either the 516 teams, which prep for City Reach, and then also uh, help us follow up with all of the people we reach through City Reach. Uh, you have the opportunity to do that. Or young people, if you want to be involved with City Reach, I would highly encourage you to investigate that. Get involved if you can. Uh, I'll try and 
summarize City Reach the best I can. Have any of you just, out of curiosity, have any of you been involved with City Reach before? Okay. So I'm speaking to a new City Reach crowd, and that, that's okay. Uh, City Reach is a combination of a mission trip and a worship conference blended together into one. And there, there's really three tiers to City Reach. Every year, there's a different church plant uh, mission work that uh, is chosen within the American Baptist Association. There's a different uh, mission work that is chosen each year. And so City Reach travels around and changes locations. We have the benefit of having them two years in a row, which is great for us and we're thankful for. But each year, typically, there's a new location for City Reach, and they travel around to different places, and they help uh, a mission work in our group. Uh, Last year, we had 22 people saved as a result of City Reach in one week. Uh, we had uh, over 1,200 cars that we washed through car washes and sharing the gospel through car washes. We had a personal evangelism team that shared the gospel over 400 times uh, with that personal evangelism team. We had a blitz team that distributed over 10,000 door hangers in the community on behalf of our church work that was going on. We had backyard Bible clubs at four locations with 45 students registered. We had an art camp with around 45 students registered, a video game camp, believe it or not, with around 15 students registered, a sports camp. I mean, all of these things that we were able to host and we were able to have sharing the gospel in our community and reaching out. And one of the stories that um, I'll let you watch in the video, she shares just briefly. Her name is Lynn, and Lynn is a result of City Reach. Uh, We fixed Lynn's roof. Uh, part of City Reach is construction projects. We've completed 30 construction projects around town and shared the gospel in many cases and in many situations. Lynn is 75 years old and uh, had not been in church for over 50 years. And as a result of City Reach, back in June this summer, uh, Lynn has not missed a service. <laughs> She's been to every Uh, Sunday morning service and every midweek Bible study that we have offered and she has uh, gotten involved in in a great way and so I'll let Lynn tell her story and you'll meet a couple other people in this video as well whenever you're ready Indianapolis is a city of 2 million people in the metropolitan statistical area. It is a growing business hub. It is the crossroads of America. It's world famous for the Indianapolis 500, Indianapolis Colts, the Indiana Pacers. Indianapolis is a place that needs Jesus Christ. Only 36% of that 2 million people claim any religious affiliation at all. We need churches that are teaching, <clears throat> preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, King of every nation, my name is Lucy Kelly. I was a longtime member of a church on the south side of Indianapolis. Many things happened over the years at that church, and eventually things weren't necessarily focused on spiritual things, and the church ended up having a split. And then saw on Facebook, um, John Lau was starting a Bible study in Brownsburg. So started attending there. My husband started coming with me. And we just immediately grew to love Church on the Rock. You just know that they love the Lord. Church on the Rock began in July of 2011. Part of our philosophy at Church on the Rock is to 
reach people individually. We know that there are a lot of churches all over Brownsburg that people could choose from, but we came to Brownsburg for one purpose. We came here to find the people who do not know Jesus Christ and to see them accept Jesus in their life and be discipled and become followers. Hello, my name is Lynn. I came home one day and my grandson told me that somebody had offered to fix our roof for free. And I was very suspicious because you don't very often get offers like that. A few days later, a whole crew showed up and started working on my roof. And I thought, well, the least you can do is go to church. But when I got to the church, I was kind of in a state of shock. They made me welcome in a genuine way that left me no doubt that they were glad I was there. We want to reach out to people who have never trusted in Christ, have never heard about Jesus even, right here in Brownsburg. Hi, my name is Elliot Hendrick. I, I was always traveling and my dad was in the military and he, uh, even though we lived in different countries and different states, we were always in church and always had a good church background to go to. Leading up to my senior year of high school, I was wanting to go to play baseball at a college up north in Indiana and I had no plans on going to any church and attending any church at all. The baseball scene was my life and then God woke me up. God woke me up pretty fast. I had to have knee surgery my senior year uh, right before baseball season and I wasn't able to play. It ruined every chance I had. Scholarships were dropped. Uh, no, no chances to ever play baseball in, in college again. It drove me away from church even more. I met this guy, at his name was John Lau. Um, John is the pastor here at Church on the Rock, and they had just started out. We just hit it off from there. So I attended Church on the Rock. It was a great experience. Um, I never felt more at home. From the very first service in July of 2011 to today, we've seen multiple people believe in Jesus Christ and give their lives to Him. Our goal is to shatter those preconceived ideas, to get rid of the mindset of this church mentality that people are one way in church and somewhere else in their life, but we desire to be a church that lives our lives every day of the week for Jesus Christ. Church should be something that radically changes and transforms our lives. It should not be something that we come to one hour on Sunday morning, but it's a radical transformation of our life. I couldn't be more happy. Um, I don't think that we could have a better group. This is where we'll be. I can't see going to any other church now. God's put this here for me, this church here for me for a reason. We pray that you can find that family in Church on the Rock. We pray that you can be a part of who we are and join our team here in Brownsburg, Indiana. Lynn's story is a story that I, I love to share as we travel, and it's a win. Somebody who hasn't been in church for 50 years, when they recognize the need to follow Jesus with their life, and they catch the vision, and they see that this is bigger than just me. Um, to our Christmas Eve service, Lynn brought... Seven family members with her. Four of them had never been in church before in their lives. And these are people in their 40s um, that had never been in church before. And also had the opportunity to preach a funeral for one of Lynn's family members and a group of probably 100 people at the funeral. And I would venture out to say probably 90 of them 
had never heard the story of Jesus before and had the opportunity to share a room full of people uh, who were lost. And uh, it, it's, been, it's been an amazing thing to see people such as Lynn catch the vision. And, and her story is not unique uh, to what God is doing in Brownsburg. Her story is not alone uh, to what God is doing. And we're excited about the future. We're excited about the next steps of our growth as a church. And uh, as the video shared, we started in July of 2011. Uh, part of the need for the trip that we're on now, raising funding, uh, we've had six churches over the last year who have dropped support for us, and not anything negative on our end, but um, many of those churches, uh, th- there were several who were sending out their own missionary and reallocating funds to send their missionary. And so in some ways we're proud that they're, they're sending missionary and that they're stepping up to the plate and sending a man out to do God's work, uh, but that still hurts when we lose funding um, in that way. Other churches that have sent us letters and said, we're, we're sorry, we're, we experienced the church split, and uh, we've cut everything back financially that we can. Uh, mission, mission support is the last thing to go, and unfortunately that's you. And we've received those letters and lost support. Six churches over the last year, and we're looking to move forward. God's doing great things, and we're looking to go ahead and uh, move forward. Uh, we, we meet currently in a middle school, and we're looking at a permanent location. We've found a spot that we would love to purchase. It's an existing building uh, right on Main Street and Northfield Drive, which are, is a major intersection in town, four acres of property that we could expand uh, when we need to expand. And so we're looking to the future, but unfortunately the support has been cut back, and so we're looking to build that back up to continue the work and continue what God's doing. So three ways that we ask for your support. Uh, Number one is through your prayers, to remember us on a regular basis in your prayers as God continues the work in Indianapolis. Uh, Number two is through short-term mission trips. We can always use help. And we, we've got experience in hosting you. We'll, we'll treat you right. Uh, like I said, we hosted over 600 students last summer. And uh, so we're, we're, we're ready for the challenge. If, if you want to come be a part of 516 or City Reach, either one, or if you want to come separately, a spring break or fall break trip, we'd love to host you and be a part of that in any type of trip that you'd like to come help us with. And number three would be financially. If you have the ability to support us financially, uh, it's something that we need. We're looking to raise $1,000 per month um, uh, from supporting churches. That's our goal on this trip is to increase our monthly support by $1,000 per month. So if you're able to help financially and contribute in that way, those are the things that we're asking on this trip. So we appreciate the opportunity to be here and to get to know you and introduce ourselves and introduce you to the work that God is doing in Brownsburg. Right. We're going to be, uh, I'll just have you turn tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll start off in Galatians 6 if you want to thumb over and find your place there, but I'm just going to read one verse in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, we've got two kids I mentioned to you earlier, and kids like to play hard. Kids like to uh, get into things. They like to get dirty. <laughs> they, they like to find the, the puddle in the parking lot. Uh, doesn't matter where it's at. If it's on the other side of the parking lot, Gavin's going to go for the puddle. That's just how he's wired. It's how boys are wired, I think, is to find the mess and make the mess and, and make it happen. Um, as teenagers, when, when we grow up, whether you live in a city or whether you live in a country, you, you always find some way 
to get into trouble. You always find some way to get some scars along the way. There, there's always a treehouse to be played in and, and fallen out of. Uh, my, my brother and I, growing up, we had a treehouse in our backyard, and uh, we thought it was fascinating that cats always land on their feet. Uh, I'll, just, I'll let you put two and two together and figure out what happened in that treehouse. But one of the times that I remember that treehouse, my brother had a, a tackle box up there, and, and he got out a fillet knife, and I don't remember the whole process of events, but I came away with a scar on my finger from that fillet knife and the tackle box in the treehouse. And when kids play, typically speaking, when they play hard and they play outside, there's going to be some scars that happen along the way. Paul mentions here in Galatians 17, I'll just read this verse, I'm sorry, Galatians 6, 17. Just read this verse to you quickly. It says, From henceforth let no man trouble me. And if you know the history, the story behind the book of Galatians, basically to try and sum it up shortly to you, uh, the, the church at Galatia had been struggling and dealing with wanting to remain under the law and believe that salvation was uh, a part of the law and salvation was found through the law. And without the law and without circumcision, how can we find salvation? That was their struggle and what they were dealing with. And so Paul says here in 17, From henceforth, going forward, from now on, let no man trouble me. Don't worry about these things. I've taught to you six chapters. I've written to you and taught you about these things. And here's what he says after that that I just find fascinating. He says, For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And it made me stop and think for a minute. It made me just wonder on this verse and, and think about this verse. How many of us can say, I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus? And at first glance, I began to think about the persecution and the troubles that Paul had been through, the shipwrecks that he had in his life, the uh, beatings that he suffered, the stonings that he went through. And all of the persecution that Paul suffered and the physical marks that were on his body. But the more I understand the book of Galatians, the more I think into this, I, I think that Paul may also be referring to some, some non-physical but spiritual marks that will bear in our lives. And that's why I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians, if you've got your spot there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Paul changes gears here, and he, he's not talking necessarily about a mark that he obtained in 2 Corinthians 12. He's not talking about a mark that he obtained as a result of persecution, but it's an infirmity that he had. It's a disability that he had along the way. And he says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 5, he says, Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself... I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. That's a tough thing to swallow and a tough thing to think about, to glory in my disabilities and in my weaknesses. Verse 6 says, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Paul goes to God pleading for God to take it away. I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And in verse 9, 
It says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. One of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible is 2 Corinthians 12, 10. And the end of that verse when he says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's beauty in finding strength in Christ through our weaknesses and through our infirmities and through our scars that we get along the way. Chad Graves and I, staying with Chad and Julie Graves and great friends of ours that I mentioned earlier, and he's been talking to me and challenging me over the last uh, couple weeks that we've been there. He's been talking to me about repentance. And what does it mean for somebody to truly repent? And how does someone who is backslidden move from the state of being backslidden in their relationship with Jesus Christ and get out of that state? And sometimes it's a bear crawl out. Sometimes it's a deep hole that you've got to climb out of and you've got to get out of. But how does someone get from that point where they're stuck in sin and they're enslaved and bondaged in sin? How do you get out of that and get release from what you're struggling with and release from the backslidden state of your, your condition that you're in? And what Chad has shared with me, and I love this analogy, repentance is like this. I've, I've got a cast iron skillet at my house. We bought it. A while back to go camping. Uh, we, we can use that skillet over the fire and we can uh, put it on top of the grill and swing the grill over the fire. And the longer that cast iron skit, skillet sits there, the hotter that skillet gets. It gets as hot as the fire and it'll cook whatever you put in it. We've done breakfast over the fire and loved it. Biscuits and gravy and eggs and all that over the fire while we're camping. And just a cool scene for us to experience as a family. But if I were to reach down and I were to pick up that hot iron skillet with bare hands... The initial reaction would be to respond and to immediately remove my hand because my mind and my heart deep down inside, I know and I understand that that skillet is hot and I need to change something. I need to remove my hand. And true repentance is this. It is identifying your mind and your heart with God's word and saying, I understand it's wrong and I need to change immediately. I know that this is wrong and this is not what God has for me and I need to get away from it and I need to change. It is something that should be so clear in our minds and we must see the need for change. We must see the need to move from our own ways and our selfish desires and move toward God and God's will for our hearts and for our lives. You see, it's a spiritual condition. And sometimes there are times in our lives where we need to learn to obtain some scars. You see, a scar, it means that there was a wound, but that I have moved away from the wound and I've found healing. And so now I've got a scar that represents, yes, I was hurt, but now there's healing that I've experienced from the hurt. We need to learn to move away from it and obtain some scars. And yes, while there may have been sin in my life, there may have been hurt that I experienced, I've repented of the sin, I've left it, 
And there's still a scar behind. I still remember what I did wrong, but I've learned from it. And I'm not playing with the fillet knife anymore in the treehouse. Not a good idea. I've learned from it and I've moved on. I'm not going to grab the hot iron skillet anymore because I've moved on from it. I've learned from it and it's a thing of the past. I know not to grab the hot cast iron skillet from the fire anymore. I'm moving on. And I'm moving forward and I'm pushing home with my relationship with Christ. But here's the great thing is that even though we've all made mistakes in the past and even though we've all uh, messed up and gone gone our own way at times in our lives. And even though we have scars from those things in our lives. Second Corinthians 1210 for when I am weak, then I am strong. Those scars represent some great stories. And those scars represent some stories that need to be shared with each other and especially with a younger generation. To share with them, listen, I messed up. Here's my story and here's how you can avoid it. Here's how you can avoid the hurt. Here's how you can avoid the wound in your life. So you obtain the scars, but then you learn to tell the story of Jesus through the scars in your life. In John 16:33 Jesus says these things have I spoken to you that you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. You see Jesus promises us in John 16 he promises us not the life of comfort, not the American dream He doesn't promise to us that you'll have health, wealth, and happiness, that you'll have a four-bedroom house, two-bathroom, two-car garage with, uh, you know, thousands of dollars in the bank account, and that your kids will have the best education possible. That's not what Jesus promises us to promises to us in scripture what he tells us is you will have trials and tribulations you will have sorrow you will face persecution but take heart for i have overcome the world (laughs) you can find peace in me and that's the message that we're preaching it's the message that we're teaching in brownsburg is listen bad things happen to good people it rains on the just and the unjust It's part of life. God does not favor persons. I I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I don't believe that when you believe in Jesus Christ that everything in life becomes better. What I believe is that it rains on the just and the unjust and that God is not a respecter of persons. And I believe that we have been promised we will face trials and persecutions and sorrows and troubles. But through all of those things, we know and we understand that God is with us along the way and he walks with us. And when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, it makes all the difference in the world because you can find peace even in the trouble. And even in the sorrow, and even in the hard times, there's an old poem I'm sure you're familiar with called Footprints in the Sand. And the poem goes something like this. I don't have it written down to quote it for you tonight, but it goes something like this, that a person is talking to God and they're wondering, where were you, God, in the hard times? Because when the hard times of life came, I only see one set of footprints in the sand, and God responds back. It was the time when you saw one set of footprints in the sand that I carried you. You see, God is there for us in the hardest of times, and he gives us a peace that overcomes the world. But 
that doesn't mean that life is always going to be good. There's going to be scars. There's going to be infirmities. There's going to be spiritual heartache that happens in ministry. And what I want to encourage you tonight to do, whether it's here in your hometown or whether you're on a mission trip somewhere else, or if you're away visiting family, don't be afraid. Do not fear getting your hands dirty for Jesus. Do not fear going out there and playing hard on God's team. Do not fear working in ministry. It may not always be fun, and you may get some scars along the way, and you may find hurt in certain situations, but guess what? Even Jesus experienced that to the ultimate degree. He gave his life for you and I so that we could live. He gave his life so that you and I could find eternal life and he gave his life for us he experienced persecution to the ultimate degree and giving his life for us on the cross just as veterans soldiers show the scars and wounds that they have received in battle as tokens of their valor and courage in facing and fighting the enemy in greatest danger the scars that paul is said to bear in his body in galatians 6 do not cause him to boast in his flesh or in the scars that he's obtained or in anything that he is, but he boasts in those things because they were marks of his being a follower of Jesus. They were marks that identified him as a disciple of Christ. (laughs) And that was where his boasting was, was listen to my story about Jesus. Scar says I'm healed. This is my story. I've learned from my past. And sometimes the wound isn't a fun thing to go through and it may hurt along the way. But when you find healing, you can share the story of recovery and it's a beautiful thing to experience. I want to close by encouraging you to not be afraid to go where God leads you. For us, we thought it was Belize. And God turned that around and we're serving in our hometown. And we're serving where God has called us to in the city of Indianapolis where we both grew up. Serving God and giving everything over to God and following him in life, it doesn't mean you have to move to Belize or to Africa or to a foreign country. You can serve God and you can give him everything right where you're at. But my warning to you is to not allow the American dream to become Christianity because the American dream is not Christianity. Christianity promises suffering and persecution and trials. While the American dream is health, wealth, and happiness, and those things are all good things to have. I I pray that we're healthy. I pray that we can find happiness. I pray that we can find wealth. All of those things are, are good things and can be used for the glory and for the honor of God. But don't allow that dream to become your Christianity and your faith in God, because when bad things come, God is still God. It does not change the fact that He is still God and He is still good and He is still just. God is still God and He's still on His throne. And in fact, He sent His Son into the world to face greater persecution and greater trials than you and I have ever faced or will ever face. And He gave His only Son for us. Let me pray for you tonight. Lord Jesus, as we bow in your presence, as we come to you, God, I pray that my heart can be challenged by your word here. 
and that God, you would, you would allow my life to line up with your scriptures, God, and with your word, and that when you call, that I would have the attitude of Isaiah, and I would say, here am I, Lord, send me, wherever you would have me to go. God, if that's Indiana, if it's Arkansas, if it's Africa, if it's Belize, God, send us wherever you would have us to go. We believe, God, that we are serving exactly where you want us in the city of Indianapolis. And God, my prayer for this church tonight, God, as, as this church stands and is at a lighthouse here in Hamburg, Arkansas, God, I pray that each one of these people could follow you with all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their mind. They, they could love you with everything that they have. And God, they could love their neighbor as themselves. God, that they would not keep the love that you've given to them inside their hearts and inside their own lives and, and God, just glory in that love that you gave to them, but, God, that they would spread that out and not be afraid to get their hands dirty for you, that they would go into this town and into this county and they would reach this place, God, for you and for your glory and for your honor. God, I believe that should be the goal of every church and I'm, I'm proud to hear that, God, you're working here and that they're seeing souls saved, and that they're seeing people baptized, and they're seeing people turn to you and live for you. God, continue that movement. God, continue to be with this church and these people as they work and as they labor for you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.